0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 4 of the Academica Vertex, I'm very glad to be joined by Captain Hindsight, Sean here today to discuss many different topics like Liverpool as of course he is the big Liverpool fan in the pod, Um, we're also going to talk about Everton, um, their new management under, without Carlo Angelotti sorry, um, West Ham, Antonio whether he can stay fit so be sure to stay tuned in for all of that but first of all Sean how are you doing?
1: Very good. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's good to, good to be joined by a, a Liverpool fan. And, of course, we are joined by Aditya as well. So, how have you been recently?
2: Lovely. Nice to be back on for the fourth episode. Nice to have Sean as well with his opinions on Liverpool and the other topics as we're going to discuss. It's going to be a great podcast. We have good things to discuss about. So, before we move ahead, there's a little update about the Vertex League. There are still a few spots left and we'll be tweeting out more updates regarding that. So, if you're interested... To drop us a DM or probably just drop us a reply in one of our previous tweets and we'll get back to
0: you. Yeah, good to get that announcement. So let's get stuck in. Um, Sean, you've obviously, or, or Captain Hindsight, we'll, we'll just say Sean, um, you've been a Liverpool fan, we were yeah. discussing before the podcast, for 35 years and, and grew up there. So um, we thought we'd get your expert opinions on uh, the Liverpool assets this season. And um, first of all, we want to talk about Salah. We know that. Uh, Salah obviously priced at 12.5 there's been a sort of debate on twitter and people angry that mané is still just too expensive and doesn't cause like uh, a debate whether to have Salah uh, to have mané over Salah but first of all I just want to say for you is is Salah a season keeper
1: so I'm going to have a really really strong opinion on this um it's going to sound crazy because I'm a Liverpool fan I've been a Liverpool fan all my life as you just mentioned uh my short answer is no I don't think he is a season keeper I know that's probably going to shock a lot of people who are listening but I think actually this is the first ever time FPL have found the price point for him where it prices him out of being being a season keeper now just to go into a little bit more detail on my opinion and why I think that I, I actually do a little um a little spreadsheet as a lot of people do sad as I am and um I did a little look at the the points potential per million and uh, the the potential added value. So, just to give you some numbers, to throw some numbers straight at everybody, um, every time a season ends, I normally take the top 20 points finishes of the previous season and divide it all by the total price to give you basically a premium points per million. Last season, that came out at 21.34 in terms of numbers, and I just did a little comparison at his price, which is 12.5, as you just mentioned, compared to the likes of Bruno, the likes of Harry Kane, even the likes of Vardy and Kevin De Bruyne, there's only actually two that come out negatively in value terms on that list. Uh, One of them is Kevin De Bruyne, which I don't think many people are considering to start the season with, at least. And the other is, in fact, Mohamed Salah. he should have been, according to my research, he should have actually been closer to 12 than 12.5. I mean, on FPL, everything's got to be done in 0.5. So for me, he is actually overpriced. So is he a season keeper? No, nope, he's not a season keeper for me. Is it suicide to go without him at the start of the season? Probably yes also. So he's he's definitely going to be in the start of my uh, my drafts. And he is right now. He's absolutely solid for captain for the first week. But honestly... The long term, no. After this, after this initial run of say five weeks, I'd really start reconsidering having him in the team. So no, for me, he's not a season keeper.
0: It's it's strange you saying that um, because I've had Salah. I've, I've only played three seasons of FPL, and last season I had him from season one, uh, from game week one to 38. Season before. It's the same story so it's an interesting point point of view and um even when he got covid i still stuck with him on the on the subs bench and didn't take him out so um i remember that episode uh last season of DJ. but are you is he, is he in your current draft so far aditya
2: yes 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 absolutely he was he's in my current draft i had him first but i just put him first and then i put fernandez up So obviously bias here but nevertheless uh Overall, over the last three seasons, I've just probably transferred to Salah maybe just three four times, maybe when Liverpool have a blank blank break or when it was a free hit or something just like that. Was, personally, I've just not removed him out a lot. And last season, laterizer I think didn't transfer in Salah, and it kind of turned out to be a bit bad for him. But last season kind of gave us a pretty different aspect on Mo Salah because he wasn't consistently returning points; he was giving or returning points in stretches. In certain games, he would haul. In certain games, he would get the odd five, six-pointers. The next three, four games, he would get his odd two-pointers that went frustrating out. So that kind of is impacting people's decision-making for this season, looking at his past performance, especially the last season one. And he's not been able to emulate the performances of what Mo Salah did two seasons back before last season. So looking at that, that's why I think people are kind of hesitant to keep him on a longer run. But I think with respect to the start of this season, looking at Liverpool's obviously three fixtures. They uh, play Burnley and Chelsea. So, obviously, those three papers, uh, those, those three fixtures on paper, I think we need to fancy keeping in Mo Salah. And I think last season, they played Leeds and he did score a goal. He scored a brace. Um, so, I think just hold on to Salah at the start. Let's see after four or five weeks how our entire squad performs because generally, the draft which we make now or which we have now, that's about 10 days before the season starts. And the draft that we have a day before the season starts is going to be completely different. We are going to have different set of players. Probably people are going to transfer in different different shares just to, for the first initial weeks and then use their wild cards and build a different team. But at the moment, I would say for me over the last few seasons and what I'm considering now, I'm definitely going to hold on to Mosala, And I'm going to probably not term as a season keeper now. But let's see over the next five or six game weeks or so what kind of results he manages to give us, and then probably we'll decide if he's worth while staying in our sports or not.
1: Yeah, Aditya, if we can come back in, um, I I totally agree with what you're saying about the first five fixtures. Like I said, I think it's suicide to go without Salah for the first five fixtures just because of how much we're going to be captaining him during that period. He's, he's going to be the number one captain choice for a lot of those games in the first five for sure. Um, but just to, again, qualify what I was talking about for the long-term run, I, according to what I've been looking at for value and performance-wise, if... You can't always say that every season is going to be the same. Of course not. But in order for Salah to be, Salier to be value at that price over the long term, you should be looking at captain him around a third of the season, uh, and that would make his price actual value for for a captainable player. Now, maybe some people do. Maybe some people do captain a player a third of an entire season. For me, it seems unrealistic. I was looking back at my data from last season. I had a pretty good year last year. I finished the one point six k, and the, the most player I'd ever captained was I think it was a uh, Sun. Just uh, 11 times, I think it was. So, yeah, on- only a quarter of a season maximum ever captain somebody, really. So, a, a third of a captaincy, I can't-, I can't see it for Salah, really. And the other thing to add is, of course, it's still up in the air right now. I won't ever back against uh, going for three Liverpool. But if Harry Kane moves, it makes a lot more sense value-wise to just give Harry Kane the armband for most of the season if he's at City and pick, for example, Robertson, Jota and Trent. That, I think, could be a good way to do things, long-term.
2: But do you really realistically see Diego Jota now being intended to play a much bigger role than being a sort of uh, a backup for Firmino? Although Firmino did play in the Copa and he's, I think, back or is in isolation always been given the rest for a few weeks. So do you think Jota is going to kind of take the place away from Firmino and go to establish himself as a starter rather than a rotating or a bench option?
1: I think there's about a 50-50 chance that can happen at the this the season. I can slowly see... It started to happen really at the end of last season anyway, but I can slowly see Jota taking over from Firmino. Yeah, I think I think that could happen. Um, Firmino got back from training. He got back from uh, the Cup America yesterday. It was his first training session yesterday. And um, there was a little video put out by LFC this morning of uh, him and Fabinho running around a racetrack absolutely dead, basically. So I don't... I, I've convinced myself into thinking that Jota starts ahead of Firmino for at least the first couple of game weeks. And then we'll see. We'll see based on form what happens after that. But Firmino, if you look at his record over the last three seasons, he's in terminal decline. Every single year upon year, um, his numbers have gone down, fantasy-wise, assist-wise, goal-wise. For the last three seasons, they've gone down. And it's, it's crazy to say this about Salah, but the in FPL points at least, the same is actually true for Mo Salah for the last three seasons. Salah's scored progressively less points, not necessarily less goals some seasons, but in terms of F- FPL points in total, the last seasons has been slightly in decline and yet his price has gone up. Yeah, but but he initially, I think, started as a
2: 9.5 priced asset when, when he first joined. And then I don't know how much it went up, maybe 1.1 or 1.5 or something. So is it that people's uh, perceptions of seeing a player's price go up and him not basically emulating a similar return based on the previous season or something more is kind of hindering the decision making approach for this season
1: i don't i don't think so i don't i don't think it's that i think just The more you play against the player, the more streetwise you start to become against them. Last season was a pretty exceptional year, COVID-wise. I I still think, just to qualify that, I still think Salah's going to have a very, very good year. He'll be amongst the top goal scorers, as he he is every single year still. But I just think we're reaching that point on the price point compared to the other premiums where there's 0.5 enough to start making you think about a long-term keeper.
0: The thing that you were saying, though, Sean, is that or DJ who was saying it's suicide to go that one for those first five but do you think the fixtures really turn I mean they've got Man City which is obviously difficult Watford Man United Brighton West Ham and and FPL have marked three of those uh, five as uh, number four on on difficulty but we know that Salah likes West Ham and actually I, I don't think it would be that bad to stick with him in those fixtures especially considering he's always a threat from from penalties
2: well, only see we are just considering the fact that giving us an option saying okay just let, let's see how he performs initially and then let's take a call if you're making a wild card or there's somebody else who's outperforming him or we need to basically transfer him out to getting somebody else and rotate our teams here and then just change our structure but just for us to Keep a benchmark or a criteria. We have discussed a lot over the last few episodes saying just watch for the initial few weeks and then make your decision. Whether you're getting assets from a promoted side or you want to keep someone from the start. The same goes with Bruno Fernandes. He's priced 12. He's Man United's main talisman. He takes majority of the set pieces including the penalties or people call him a pen merchant, Fernandes or whatever. But now with the inclusion of Sancho and Luke Shaw playing well, we don't know if Trippier is going to be signed. So there's a chance United could change their formation to a 4-3-3 from a 4-2-3-1, not play pivot, play three midfielders. Maybe Fernandez drops a bit deeper. This could probably help Sancho get in more points. Cavani score more points than Fernandez itself. Then we actually jump into the same debate of, is Fernandez really worth well? Or I'm just really paying for a fact that if he scores a penalty, I should not get a red arrow or something. That comes basically again to the same point of looking at the price tag and what we're expecting. So I think it always makes sense to be patient and to wait and watch and then make your decision. I think that's what is my opinion on this. Sean, what's your call on this?
1: Um, I'm going to take it from another angle because um, loads and loads of Twitter people are talking about whether you go for Salah or whether you go for Bruno. And uh, I'll, I'll, not not many people at all are talking about making the choice between them. Everybody's talking about having both of them and needing to have both of them. I, j- I just don't see it that way. I think you can actually... Either choose Bruno or either choose Salah and have somebody like Sun involved as well in the conversation. And if you take a look on the captaincy choices for a lot of weeks, that covers a lot of options there for the captaincy choices without having Bruno. So my, my strategy right now is that you don't actually need to start with Bruno at the minute. Um, you could have Sun to cover where you would probably captain Bruno. And then by the time you get to game week three where Liverpool have got Chelsea, I really don't like that fixture at all for, for Salah. I can't see him doing well in that one. That might be the time to just flip between Salah and Bruno. I think that could be an option, which a lot of people aren't considering. You could keep um, Bruno for Wolves, for example, where Salah's got uh, Chelsea. And keep him for the week after as well, where uh, Bruno also has Newcastle and uh, Salah's a way to lead. So you could do a little two-week uh, hokey-pokey to between the two of them to uh, to try and get the best of both worlds. And at least that way, the only time Bruno's going to be hurting you is probably when people aren't going to be captain him anyway. So that could be a way, on, a way around the problem.
2: Now, about Hyunmin Son, what I wanted to say is that how confident are you the way sports are going to play under Nuno? Now, basically, we are having rumours of Kane who he could possibly leave. We're not sure. There's nothing concrete yet. So do you think that's going to impact the way they play? Because last season, under Murillo, for the majority of the time, they kind of favoured playing a counter-attacking football, which suited, let's say, for Hyunmin Son in some way, based on his skill and his flair. Basically, he's quick enough, he's very fast in counter, he's very precise and basically the stat which people hate the most is that he scored 17 goals with an XG of 9.74 that kind of hurt a lot of people. So, do you think that he's he's going to be able to play in the same manner under Nuno? Although Nuno did manage Wolves and we've seen their style of play, but with Kane leaving, does it impact the way Son is going to play or he's going to be more vital do you think for Spurs from now on?
1: From everybody in my draft, Sun is probably the most nailed person in my draft, mainly because of ownership. At last I checked, it was around 10%. So um, I think that's a way to get a jump on a lot of the community um, in, in FPL by going for Sun. Um, just to, again, give you some numbers. Um, I, th- I think Sun really has been a hidden 200-point regular player for a long, long time. Last season, we know he exploded, but there was always something. There was always sending sending offs or injuries that stopped him from getting to that point. But whenever he's had 2,500 minutes plus, he's always performed. So I I don't think, as an asset, you need to worry too much about him. Um, I think a lot of people are put off by him because he's got Man City in the first fixture. I don't know if you remember last season, but Spurs played Man City very early on. They actually won and Sun scored and got three bonus points in that match, too. So I don't even think that's the scary fixture. And then obviously, they've got a run of three relatively easy fixtures after that. So as I say, I'll be looking to captain him from then onwards. About the Kane thing. Um, if Kane does go I even would say that that would benefit Sun more than anything, okay it's a new management style but historically Sun's XG actually doubles without Kane whenever Kane's not on the field, I'm not too sure if anybody knew that stat, but it's, it's true, it's out there and we can also assume that Sun's probably on penalties without Kane as well, so I only see positive reasons he's going to be the main man, he will become the talisman at, at Spurs without Kane so if anything, I'd be even more encouraged to go for Sun without Kane. Really? That is
0: an opinion I'm really not not baffled by, but the amount of times that we saw the tweets from FPL, goal Sun assist Kane, goal Kane assist Sun, it, like the two link up very, very well together. And uh, I don't have the stat to hand, but a lot of Sun's goals have to. Be as, as like assisted by a uh, a deep lying forward like uh, Harry Kane. So I know that you say the XG goes up, but that that's that's something that surprises me in, in a way. I wouldn't have thought like uh, Son would be as appealing without without Kane because although he can score and he will be on penalties, he does he does need that service as well. I currently don't have Son in in my draft. I mean my draft is a bit all over the place, but. Um, that's a, that's a surprising stat to hear, actually. I did not know. I wasn't aware of that. But uh, I don't think Son could be the same force without without Kane. What what do you think, Aditya?
2: As I said again, again, even I'm kind of doubting that at this point, but it could prove to be beneficial even for Son. That as Son said, he could be the main man in the attack and everything goes through him probably this time. And Son's ownership at the moment is about 17%. So. Yeah, it's gone up. It's, it's double them yeah. with more people. Yeah, so... I think there's a, there's a lot of people who are logging in maybe auto-picking their teams now. And that's why it could have gone up, or there are people genuinely getting in for a reason. But yes, this, the same can go either side. Now, since Spurs play City Game Week 1, and then I think from Game Week 2 to about 4, it's, the fixtures are good on paper. The same can go with Man City, perhaps, because they play Spurs. And then their fixtures are also, I would say, they have to play Norwich, uh, Arsenal and Leicester. So, there could be people even looking to get in. Sterling or De Bruyne or somebody else from City and there could be when people are looking to get in Son and there's the added advantage of having Fernandes or Salah in your drafts now and then shipping them out later. So basically, we just have about about what? Seven premium so-called midfielders who are priced about 10. That's Salah, Bruno, De Bruyne, Mane, Sterling, Aubameyang and so on. So with most of us just going for Salah, Bruno and then maybe one of uh, Son or De Bruyne or Sterling there's not a lot of variance in our squad, so let's see where things go on. But I'm kind of a bit hesitant to go towards son at the moment, but I need to be sure if whether Kane stays or whether he leaves before the start of the season next week. So based on that is what I'll make my call. And my draft is not at all certain at this point. It's the same draft I have been stuck on over the last two weeks or so. Because I think it's better for me need to make a decision as we get closer to the start of the season. just a day before so we'll have good information and stuff out from respective clubs and updates.
0: I mean it's difficult to tell with the ownership because like right now there's only like two and a half million registered players Um, and I think last season it was between seven and eight million total players. So I don't know if these two and a half are representative as more keen FPL players and we're waiting for the casuals still to register their teams and that's a more sort of representative effective, uh, representative ownership of uh, like the keen FPL players, but um, I think we'll see ownership change quite a lot in the next, I don't know, next week or so, because um, if we compare the amount of total players from last season, there's still a lot of players to, to register and sign up.
1: It's a strange one. It makes you wonder how many zombie teams there actually are in reality or how many people are making multiple teams, because, yeah, it does seem quite low compared to the normal amount. Maybe people are just footballed out with the euros
0: (laughs) yeah yeah sorry you i sort of interrupted you were going to say something there sean oh sean sorry
1: just just to come back before i was um going back to the premium midfield conversation um the man city assets are just a headache for me i i really don't know what to do with them it's it's the same old story it's just the rotation issues with them that um i've got a problem with um it was a question for aditya in fact would you consider I don't know if price-wise they're actually qualified for this statement, but would you say Havertz and Mahrez are premium midfielders or not?
2: Mm, That's actually a good question, because when I was finding out the numbers for these players, I took 10 million as a sort of a benchmark for premium. That's what I think most of the people in the community are looking at. But I think anything close to 9, I would probably go down to say as premium. But anything, I think 8.5 is like... It's like people term midfielders or any players until 7.5 as... Let's say until 4.5 is what? 4.5 to 5.5 is like budget. 5.5 to 7.5 is like mid-priced. And then this 7.5 to about 9.5 is like in the middle zone. It could be a premium if you want to call or a mid-priced option. Then 10 is basically a premium. But habits and maras. I think uh, the price is about 9.5. You have, I think, Sancho for 9.5. I think so. Mm-hmm. I think they're 8.5. Sorry. I think Maris is 8.5. Maris and uh, no, Maris is nine.
1: Maris is nine. Havertz
2: is 8.5. Is 8.5. Yeah, yeah. And then you have Sancho, Rashford, and all at 9.5. So I think I wouldn't technically term them as premium, but looking at their respective teams where they play at, I think for the respective teams, they could be premium assets from the like. I think from Chelsea, I think. Who is the most expensive price player from Chelsea? If you can maybe just have a quick glance. I think it's Warner. I think. Warner is 9. And then you have habits at 8.5. Yeah, so right. these yep. are the so, so, these are the two expensive options. And for City, we all know it's De Bruyne, And then we have Sterling. Then we have Bares and Jesus and the others, Diaz and all the different. So it depends again, at if you're looking at these teams, like from Chelsea, these are the expensive assets, so they could be premium from those sides, but uh, I wouldn't really look them, look at them as a premium price place, but they fall into a category between the mid price and the premium for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Ollie, I've got a quick question for you as well. Just to, to come back to Liverpool for a moment, how how are you feeling about the Liverpool defence for the season?
0: Um, well, I've always favoured Trent Alexander-Arnold, just because we know he's dangerous from any uh, dead play situation. Um, currently, in my draft is Stones and Diaz. It, it is it, the thinking behind my draft right now is if I get Stones, Diaz, a Man City midfielder, and Grealish and Kane in Aston Villa and Tottenham shirts, then I could end up with five Man City players, <laughs> which, which I think would just look quite good be- before the deadline. Um, but no, I, I'm, I'd i be almost certain that I'll switch back to Trent Alexander-Arnold come the deadline, um, because although we did see, if we're going to be honest, he wasn't as lethal from free kicks last season um I think he lost he lost a bit of his sort of flair um from free kicks and I don't he didn't score as as many as he has uh, in the previous season but I could definitely see Liverpool keeping clean sheets with with Norwich Burnley I think Chelsea and Leeds would be ambitious to to keep clean sheets but Crystal Palace and Brentford then yes um and with Van Dyke back um, and the signing of Kanate, or Kanate, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it, I, I'd be confident of Liverpool keeping clean sheets. Um, but you were saying before the podcast you don't think Liverpool would, would challenge for the title. So is, is defence sort of a, an area of concern for you?
1: Just about footballing perspective the way I see the table going is it, I think it's going to be a foregone conclusion if, if Man City do sign Kane I think there'll be an absolute chasm between them and everybody else then I see a little bunch up probably between Man United Chelsea and Liverpool and um, it's for me the Trent yeah there's, there's absolutely no worries on Trent coming into the team but an actual double up on defence I, I just don't know it's it's a wait and see with Van Dijk it's a big big injury and you, you have to be concerned that he will come back to be the same player or not. I think from an attacking point of view, that can help Trent still because you talked a moment ago about the crosses. If he's aiming at Van Dijk's head from a corner or Konati, who's an absolute beast in terms of size, I think that can increase corner goals, which of course is points in the bag for for Trent's corners. But defence numbers-wise, I'm not sure. I think it's just going to be a wait and see. I I really want to wait for a couple of weeks to see how we are defensively, uh, to see if it's defensively solid. Attacking-wise, numbers I think will go back up again, but defence, I'm not sure.
0: Well, I think it was difficult because Mm -hmm. last season, obviously, I still had Trent in the team and they were playing with Nat Phillips and and Reese Williams. And obviously, with Liverpool's defensive problems last season, it was difficult for Trent to rely on defensive points. I mean, but you have to feel that, now they've got they've got everyone back, haven't they? they? Apart from obviously Van Dijk, who's still coming back from the big injury. Is there any centre backs right now who are not not in? Like it Matip, maybe not in the in the squad or something. I, I might have saw somewhere that he's injured, but they've they've got a lot of backup now. They've they've got Nat Phillips, who's proven that he is actually a pretty good centre back. Um, they've got Gomez, Van Dijk, um, and Matip. So they they have got a lot of and in Kanate as well, obviously. So they've got a lot of backup, and I do believe that Liverpool will go back to that what twenty 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 nineteen squads where they were defensively pretty solid.
1: I've had, fingers crossed for it. Maybe, maybe it's because I'm a Liverpool supporter, and so I'm I'm very critical of my own team. But yeah, everybody's back defensively wise. Everybody's had minutes even in, in closed behind doors friendlies. Uh, Van Dijk came on and absolutely got spun with his first touch by a Hertha Berlin striker and who went on to score, in fact. But I think we can give him a break considering how long he's been out. Friendlies don't mean much, but it is it is in the back of my brain. And uh, the, the trouble with Matip is I actually think Matip's an amazing defender, but he he can't stay fit for more than two weeks, unfortunately. You just can't rely upon him. Connetti is an interesting one. I think, like I say, I think he can be a real threat from corners as well as Van Dijk. So those are probably be the first choice pair in together if uh, if they can all get regular minutes and get fit again
0: Yeah, alright so move, we're going to move on to uh, your rivals um, Sean I'd like to talk about Everton a little bit um, obviously they're under a new management um, do we think that Dinier is going to be an option this season we're talking about Trent um, at the back do we think that defensively Everton are going to be solid uh, without Carlo Angelotti?
1: Uh, I'll, I'll go first on this one then. So um, Dina's in my draft, and I don't think even since my first draft he's been out of it. Um, just Benitez as a manager, I know quite well. It's it hurts that he's gone there, but um, he does set up very very defensively his teams. He is probably a downgrade from from Ancelotti in terms of management ability, but the one thing he can do is set up a defence well. And um, I, I don't just think it's about how solid the defence is going to be with Dina. I'm, I'm looking at what's gone on with their squad. Um, Sigurdsson, I don't think we need to talk about the reasons why, but I don't think he'd be featuring much this season at all. And Hamas uh, Rodriguez, just before uh, the end of last season, I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, the team was still playing and he was off to Colombia to go and see his family on a plane and posted some pretty pretentious stuff on on Instagram about it so he's definitely not a favourite with the Blues supporters anymore and the impact for that for Dina of course is Dina might be on more or less 100% of set pieces if that's the case he's he's probably going to be taking all the corners all the free kicks and some of those were getting stolen from him last season either from James or Sigurdsson so I'd expect the assist numbers to go up a lot. Maybe some direct free kicks as well. He could get some some points from that avenue. So I would not be surprised at all if Dini gets gets somewhere near his record points total in FPL.
0: And Aditi, you were talking about Richarlison before the, the podcast. Do you want to just run us through that?
2: Yeah, but before I go to that, I want to go back to our debate or our small chat on Liverpool's defence. Unfortunately, because I kind of prepped myself a lot with some numbers about Liverpool and you kind of gave me the opportunity to, to speak that sure carried rest-
0: away, yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think you got, you guys got a bit emotional there, all you Kloppites. So <laughs> what I so what I would like to say is that let's let's look at the last season. So in 38 games, Liverpool what they considered about 42 goals, they kept 12 clean sheets, and they just let, they just had in about like 332 attempts on goals, which is the second best in the league last season, and only about 109, which came from out of, outside the box, which was, which was the best. Overall, Liverpool's defence on paper didn't perform bad, but with us seeing and watching a few games, it did make us feel that we seeing that, oh, they're looking bad. Obviously, without Van Dijk, without Gomez, having Fabinho play in the defence, having a lot of trouble rotations here and there with no proper options. But in terms of the big chances, they considered about 81, which was the seventh worst. And they made about twenty-one errors, which is because the second was last season, out of which ten of them led straight to a goal, which was the worst in the league. So that is a sort of a negative point, whatever I would like to bring. But in terms of twenty nineteen, uh, twenty season when there was, was in Van dyke obviously in Governor's they considered just about thirty-three goals and kept about 51 clean sorry, 15 clean sheets and about 341, they considered attempts on goal. So that's I think nine more than what they did last season. So overall, maybe with having someone like a Van Dyke or Gomez, a fit Trent Alexander a proper midfield was or is important in Liverpool's style of play. So I think with that being said, I think this season could be a good one for Liverpool in terms of them getting back in shape and fitness, basically Van Dyke back, Gomez back. And they'll have Sabino playing in the midfield, finally. And things could look better. But in terms of Trent Alexander-Arnold, no defender had more attempts on goal than him. So, he had about 55 attempts on goal. But he just managed to score twice. Now, in terms of crosses and corners, so, Trent had about 200, made about 297 crosses, whereas Robertson made about 294. So, although last season, at the start, it was Robertson who looked good, but towards the end, it was Trent who started to look much better. But unfortunately, got injured and didn't play for England in Euros. But I think I'm quite happy keeping, in Trent, uh, keeping Trent in my draft. And I think the season kind of looks promising for Liverpool. With Konate back, I think Matip and Konate are going to play, I think, for the first game. That's what I think I read on Athletic a few weeks back. So, I think it looks good for Liverpool. And let's see how things go on for them. But I think Trent is someone I think we should be keeping in our team. Now, Richarlison. Lisson. Okay. Now, unfortunately, I have not done my homework on Richarlison. And today, Brazil, I think, managed to go through the finals uh, for the Olympics they play against Spain. So, let's see where things go on with Richarlison and with regards to Calvert-Lewin, whether it hinders his performances and all. It's going to be interesting to see. But Calvert-Lewin last season was on fire at the start. Went missing in the middle. I think since February last season, he just scored about five goals. So, his form kind of dipped. And then it is... Is renowned as a much defensive manager, as what we all know. I think there's a quote made, made by Benitez. Um, yeah, this, this is what he said. We will try to have a team that has balance. Balance means attack and defend. And be sure that you can compete against anyone. And basically, his ma- under his managerial style in the Premier League, they're just considered about like 1.5 goals per match. So, again, it's a must. It's a definite defensive first approach, but having DNA also makes sense because he's going to be involved in taking more set pieces. But I think he did get injured towards the end of the Euros, so let's see how good and how fit he looks towards the start. But Richardson, again, I think having calvert Lewing is fine because I think he was the leading goal-scorer. And he was ranked the third best in terms of scoring goals with 16. He had 83 attempts on goal, 46 start on target, averaging a chance every about 35 minutes or so, but it's looking good for Everton. Their fixtures look good, so I'm definitely going to keep Kalutlouin in my side. But with regards to Richarlison, I think that's not going to be a big problem now. If It depends if they're going to play a 4-3-1 or a 4-3-3, who they're going to basically play and is going to be interesting now.
0: But Sean, do you think at 8 million, Calvert-Lewin is still a good pick? Because last season, I had him as a season keeper right from the first game week. But um, at 8 million, he's not currently in my draft. so. Um, could you give me some advice on uh, whether he'll be a good pick this season
1: uh yeah I, I think it's it's a little bit irritating that he's not 7.5 because there's a big big bunch of, of value players at 7.5 so he's just 0.5 above that D- despite that i think uh, i think he's still a very very good option uh let's see he got 165 points out of 2871 minutes last year if you gave him a full season's minutes he wouldn't be far off 200 points he'd, he'd be hitting one hundred and ninety-six point five points apparently, so uh, great value for that price. Still, I think if he, if he gets anywhere near that, I think yeah, it's it's a winner. Um, about about Benitez as a coach, maybe can speak a bit more about that and and how that will affect uh, Calvert Lewin's role. I don't know if you guys remember, but about halfway through the season, Ancelotti switched around Calvert Lewin and Richarlison's positions a little bit. At the start, Calvert-Lewin was playing as the most advanced. Halfway through, it went to Richarlison being um, the most advanced, and then it switched again. And, and Calvert-Lewin kind of suffered in that mid-period where he wasn't uh, the most advanced number 9 on, on their pitch. So I think if you look historically about what Benitez does with his strikers, he turned Rondon into a world-beater at Newcastle. Previously, he had Torres and he had Crouch at, at Liverpool. So he, he likes that big number 9 presence there. And I, I don't see that affecting um, calvert Lewin's points at all. We've, we've seen he seems to be recruiting wingers as well. So that's obviously an option. You talk about balance, that ties into it as well. As I say, I think Dini is a much better set-piece taker than either uh, Sigurdsson was or or, um, or James Rodriguez as well. So I can see a full link up there. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see a very, very boring 1-0 or 2-1 victory week in, week out for Everton with uh, with Dini and uh, and Calvert-Lewin on the points there for, for BPS as well. So Now I think he is slightly overpriced at £8 million when you consider the value that you've got from the 7.5s there. In, in my draft at the moment, I've got Watkins and I've got Antonio, who I think could produce similar outputs. But what, what I mentioned was that between the wingers that you've got now at Everton, uh, plus Dina probably on all of the set pieces... We've got the number nines there in the past with Benitez of Rondon of of Torres and Crouch. I totally think he can he can represent value still. Maybe maybe there's better options, but at eight eight million, yeah. I think him him and Dina are definitely the standout options at, at Everton there. Somewhere somewhere between one hundred and sixty to, yeah, around one hundred and ninety points I'd expect for for Calvert Lewin this year. Somewhere between that four.
0: And just a quick question, not totally on FPL i've listened to a lot of um that peter crouch podcast over the last year or two i think it's a cracking podcast very very funny uh he's back stronger um obviously i do remember crouch a bit uh and i remember him playing for burnley because i was a bit older then but what was crouch like really in 2006 that sort of era What? what, what you, do you have any memories of watching crouch at, at that sort of era
1: Crouch was in and out of the side. Um, He was, he was a little bit frustrating to watch sometimes because he was, as as he says on this podcast, I love it as well, Ollie. Uh, He's he's very very skillful for a big man. He's very very technical for a big man. Um, But yeah, he, he had a bit of a competition as well. I mean, it was it was Torres that forced him out of the side in the end, which is fair enough, and he admits that himself that you know it was fair enough that Torres was a much better player than he was. But um, yeah, underappreciated I would say, underappreciated Liverpool, very much a, a, a good player and uh, a good player at a time when maybe the the quality wasn't there as well to support him mm.
0: Yeah, interesting because obviously it is a cracking podcast and I've listened to a lot of it but I haven't really seen a lot of his, his time at Liverpool because um, I was only about six or seven years old um, so yeah, uh, <laughs> just on a, on a side note um, so yeah there's some interesting stuff on Everton and um, currently I don't have anyone any Everton assets in, in my draft but certainly Dino will be the one most uh, sort of most wanted or most on my watch list for me with Calvert-Lewin sort of on the edge but as you say at 8 million it just doesn't appeal as much as a 7.5 it's interesting how much 0.5 can make a difference because I currently have Watkins in the draft at Seven point five and you're you're completely right. If he was seven point five, I think he'd definitely be in there to be honest. It's just that tiny difference. But I think I'm pretty sure Edison Cavani is is uh eight million as well. Do you think
1: do you I think he oh, no, might be eight point
0: five? Yeah. Yeah, he's eight point five. Eight point five. Do you think that some people I mean Aditya, this is obviously a question for you as a Man United fan as well, but do you think some people might be sleeping on, on Cavani a bit? Like he was so like Obviously, I don't, I'm a bit anti-Man United. I don't particularly like them, but I think he was so brilliant last season and he was just a goal scorer, really. So, do you think, Aditya, potentially people are sleeping on Edison Cavani?
2: I think there's a chant, right, for Edison Cavani. It was, give it, give it, give it to Eddie Cavani. My singing skills very bad. So, when we signed him on a free deal last season, all of us, or maybe some of us, I wouldn't count the majority fans, they might be having different opinions. We were wondering why are we signing Edinson Cavani? Like, why do we need a striker? We have Anthony Marshall. We we had Odien igalo We were wondering why do we need a striker? Then the answer was quite visible to us. And we needed somebody who was quite proficient in scoring goals, finishing, and especially the game against Southampton. I think Oli he should remember. He made out of the tweet. Oh, he tweeted out at that time saying, Hey, hey Marionetta, about to lose or something. I think it was like Cavani who scored twice and Fernando scored once and Marinara beat Southampton 3 1 at the same Mary's. So that game kind of showed me, or showed most of us, the value of Adamson Cavani and how he was very, very underrated, underappreciated, and not being respected a lot in the footballing community because he played. He played for PSG and he played with Neymar and Mbappé and he kind of got lost with those two superstar names. But as a United fan, we are quite happy and privileged to have a striker of the caliber and with him being present, he's able to share his lessons and help the others. Evolve and develop around him, especially Mason Greenwood. We have Rashford, Sancho and the others offensive players, Ilanga and all. But at 8.5, I think people are kind of sleeping on him. He's going to be a pain player. Startup, he should play most of the games. Martial is just back from injury. He had his training now, just started to rejoin the squad. So we'll have to see and we'll see how Oliver Schulz is basically going to integrate him,
0: yeah.
2: where he's going to play Martial and all. But I think Cavani is someone who we need to keep an eye on. I think with Sancho signing for the club, our right hand side was in a desperate need of a proficient attacker, somebody who could create chances, cut him. Create spaces for the others to run in. We lacked someone of that quality. And it was Grinor, it was Dan James, or was Mata, or was we are playing a diamond or a narrow formation or something. We did not have a proper winger and we kind of struggled. And even when Bisaka is not a very offensive-oriented player, he's not Trent Alexander, not because he's not gifted with those offensive abilities. But although he has shown over the last few seasons, the end of last season, that he's kind of capable of moving and advancing forward. So with Sancho in there, and with Fernandes also stepping up. And uh, with I think Pogba is probably going to stay now. Is it what it seems. And if we sign a midfielder, I think Cavani is going to have a lot of fun scoring more goals. And with even signing Varane, I think they are going to kind of play in sort of offensive manner now. So, I think Cavani at 8.5 is good. But again, that 0.5 debate, because you have Calvert-Lewin at 8, and if you go for Kawani for 8.5, you're spending the extra point f- 0.5 which you could have spent somewhere else. So, the same debate of spreading your team value in the picture here again. But I think if you're not going for a premium striker, but for, for me at the moment, I have Watkins and in and I'm playing with five midfielders. That's my current draft, but that could change. So, But I think 8.5, Kawani, is someone you should definitely keep an eye on. And if you're interested, and maybe you don't want to go the route of maybe having Fernandes, I think having Kawani. Kind of justifies
1: that. Aditya, I've just got a quick question for you. Can you give me a percentage of how certain you think Cavani will be starting against Leeds?
2: Oh, okay. We are about, what, 11-12 days or from the kickoff. So, as of now, I'd say 99. That <laughs> one person is wow. wow. awesome. yeah, in like But, but even
0: last that. season, he wasn't starting quite a few games. It wasn't... wasn't. like, But there wasn't many that's other forwards it. in the squad.
2: See, he, he, he's not Rashford, okay? He's, he's, he's old. He's about, what, 34? He's experienced. He's quite injury-prone. He had a few injury scares here in the last season. So, we had to basically rotate him in and out and keep our focus on the Europa League. And we bottled it. But uh, we had to look at a longer run and preserve him for that. But now, he's our key striker. Martial is back. And we have a decent amount of youth players in. Like Ilanga, the Greenwood can play. Shola, Shori, Tyrek could play. We have few little rotation options here and there in games wherein uh, there is a chance that Kawani could be bench. But I think he's a top man. I think once Marshall is back fit and is showing the same form and caliber that he showed, I think when it was on a project restart or so, I think then would be the debate of maybe it's time to maybe rotate Kawani or bench kawani or so. But I think until that, Kawani is going to play
1: giving me a headache now. I, I, I do rate him as an asset, Cavani. I think he is a very, very solid asset in FPL but it was more the playing time that I was concerned about and if you say he's ninety nine percent certain to start that's that's gonna make me question my drafts again now. He is a good player. I do rate him.
0: I mean yeah I actually quite although he is a Man United player, I, I quite I quite like him. I think he's a he's a very like he's very talented and he's he's technical on the ball but like he's also a classic, you know, number nine striker. He's a bit. He's. We've seen his skill when he scored that whatever yard lob. It was like forty yard lob. But we've also seen him just score sort of, you know, in and around the box goals. So, I think it's it's difficult as you say when you're getting old. When you're thirty four, you said Adidas. It's, it's difficult to um, to to play thirty eight games in the Premier League and then on top of that you know European competition and then domestic cups too so but you're, you're completely right when you say it's giving you a bit of a headache because it's now giving me a bit of a headache because I, I thought he'd definitely be more expensive than 8.5 he'd be at like at 9 or something after last season but if he can get a good run in the team I think he could definitely be a, a great option to sort of cover Man United um, or and maybe go without Bruno and have Cavani as like a, a replacement as, for, for the Man United but,
1: um, <laughs> early on, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah it's, it's, um, difficult. But, and does, does anyone else have, uh, any other points that we'd like to make? I think, um, we're getting on to about 50 minutes, so we might spend another half an hour if we, uh, go through all of, uh, West Ham's, uh, sort of options. But if, if we have any other points that we want to make, uh, just on, on quick notes, feel free.
1: I do just have one very, very quickly whilst we're still on Man U, and it's a it's a question I'm asking myself all the time, constantly. Effective ownership has caused me a problem on this one. I've I've got Luke Shaw in my draft right now. I I'd be quite honest. I I really have my doubts. I really have doubts about Luke Shaw. I think that he's he's overhyped by the community, and I think that the Euros has probably fueled that a little bit more. I'm also having a Man United defender. If I wasn't looking at effective ownership and if it was just trusting myself I'd probably go for one bissaka over Shaw so I'd, I'd like somebody to talk me into Shaw a little bit more
0: uh, well DTR, I'll leave it to you to talk you into Shaw but for me I think they're both priced at 5.5 and Shaw is obviously more attacking um, I mean the only one bissaka got 20 see.
1: more points last year
0: I know I know but the only only problem I could see is sort of Maybe tellers I know he's injured at the moment, but sort of breaking in, in the starting lineup, but I think there's a few players in the euros that you know outperforming the national squads compared to their club squads like i think obviously Pickford is hugely i think he's marvelous in a in an England shirt, and I think he's average in an everton shirt so well anyway Aditya, what what was what what was appealing about Shaw that over Wambasacker
2: well, I think in the first episode of uh, this season's podcast, I did speak a lot about Luke Shaw and I've always been a great positive advocate for Luke Shaw. And mm-hmm. we as United fans and I personally, I think I'm very glad seeing that he's able to play at this, at this level, fulfilling his potential. And what we basically intended to do was to have a left-back pose as good as maybe Patrice three, a few years back in the and we did get in shore with that intention because we didn't want to have proper left backs. And he started playing decently at the start, got injured. I think it was against uh, one or somebody else in the uh, one or AZ, I'm not sure, in one of the Europa League games. And he got injured. And now I think he's back. And with uh, basically, under Mourinho, he wasn't happy because basically everybody saw it. During the Euros, the debate of Mourinho having on Luke Shaw and basically saw all the stuff here and there. But I think with Solskjaer in for the last few seasons, what has happened is that he's been allowed to progress ahead in the final third, create chances, bomb ahead, overlap, take his attempts on goal, be more involved. And even I think last season, in terms of United, we created more chances from our left flank. And it was Luke Shaw who who created the second most chances for United. I think the first was Bruno with 95 or so, and Shaw was around uh, 65 or so, I'm correct. I'm not pretty sure about those numbers. But I think with Sean basically saying that, oh, Van Bissaka has got 20 more points. I think, if I'm right, Van Bissaka nearly played all the games, whereas Shaw missed few of those. So I think there's a difference in the minutes played. So yeah, you're Sean- right, there is.
1: There's, there's about 200. 200- minutes of difference, I think. Let's see. Or more than that. Uh, Shaw only played 2,653 minutes. There's about 400 minutes of difference, yeah. 3,060 for Wan-Bissaka.
0: But that, that would yeah. still be an incentive to have Wan-Bissaka over short, though. That's not a...
1: See, see the issue was
2: what, at this point, we heard, we got a few news, right? A news, a few weeks back saying Luke looks has like some sort of an injury he, he could miss. And I think Shaw is back in training and he's fit enough to start but I think today I saw Ben Dennery put something out that Van Der Saka is looking to miss out the first game, or is, is there's a tight chance of him missing or playing or something. I'm not sure.
1: Uh, so I missed that. Okay, that's my mind made up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you might have to check it out while I'm speaking here, just cross-check with right or whether I was daydreaming or not. But I think I think Luke saw is not overhyped by the community because I think what what has happened is the Twitter bubble here. Is made up of excellent FPL managers who do a lot of results, do a lot of homework, share a lot of opinions. And we all, most of the time, tend to make the same decisions, take the same decisions, or sometimes there's a split here and there. But with with more FPL players, let's say not in our Twitter sphere or the casuals, if we can term them as, um, they have basically seen him play in the Euros and he was actually excellent in the Euros, even in Euro fantasy. So, so, maybe looking at those numbers, those returns, those performances kind of swayed people getting in and Shaw or Van Bissaka. So, I think no brainer for me in terms of having uh, Luke Shaw. But uh, Shaw is someone I think we should have in our sports unless he's ruled out or is injured or something else. I think with Waran back, Waran, Rafael Waran joined Manchester United, that's so, you know, a big thing for me to say. McGuire, Van Bissaka, and Shaw, I think our defense is sorted. If we get a midfielder, a solid CDM. Or if not, we play a 4-3-3 with a Matic or a McTominion, with Fernandez, Pogba, Sancho, Cavani or Greenwood. I think our team looks good. Defensively also, we'll be in a pretty good shape in the next few weeks or so. They need to gel and play more games. I think but having Shaw so makes sense. But if not, you don't want Shaw. So, then Van Beshaka is someone who's nailed on to start most of the games. and. Solskjaer doesn't like to get it, but unless there's a big if. If they sign Kiran Trippier in the last few days of the window, then there's going to be a headache of who's going to play a right-back. Because that's where the coin toss and the debate starts to ignite, basically, who's going to play the right-back now with Trippier having been signed. Because I'm not sure if Trippier is going to happen or if Dalo is leaving, so that's another thing. But that, I think we'll have more updates as we in closer to the shut of the transfer window. So I think Shaw is someone I think we should have based on his performances last season, Euros, and the fixtures for United on paper.
1: Okay, okay, sounds good. I'm convinced. (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right, I think that wraps up just about everything, guys. Um, So yeah, I mean, thank you everyone for listening. Um, Thank you for joining us very much, Sean, uh, and giving your insight into that liverpool uh, debate but um uh yeah i guess we'll see you all next week and stay tuned to keep up with us on twitter fbi academica um we should be back uh next week of course um thank you all very much for listening uh and see you all next time